The following podcast contains discussions of an adult nature which may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to A Conversation with Alpie. This is Season 1, Episode 2, Gary Balser. with Allie. Before we get to our guest today, we have some feedback from our first show, the show I did with my mother, Mary Alice Birch. First of all, we have from Ruth Ann Roscoe Castro from Monterey, California. She says, I really enjoyed your first conversation with Albie. It made me laugh and cry. Please bring back Mary Alice, aka Aunt Alice, anytime you need a guest speaker. She was wonderful. Hugs to your mom, heart. Danielle said, enjoyed the first conversation with Albie. Great job to both you and your mom. So that was nice to hear. Jerry Burge. OMG Albie, I love your mom. She's awesome. God bless her. So, obviously he enjoyed the show. So that's always good to hear. Nick Velotti said, wow, that was amazing. I learned a little something today about my family. Laura Cozine said, listening now, how cute. Me having my parents write answers to questions just didn't work out. This is an awesome idea. Something to keep for generations. I agree. Uh, One of the reasons I did it is I wanted to get who my mom really was on audio, just uh, for future generations. Teresa Kemp Velotti said, nice job, Albie. Thank you. And we have an iTunes review. I'd like to personally thank the first person to review a conversation with Albie on iTunes, and that is I Be Just Saying. They gave it five stars and said this. This interview was put together very well. Great idea. I could actually relate to certain time periods and places. More, please. Thank you very much. The only thing we really ask around here is that you leave us a good review on iTunes. That helps get the ball rolling with a new podcast and lets people know what they're in for. If you could just take a minute out of your day for us, go to iTunes and give us a five-star review and say something nice about the show. That will help us a lot. So thank you, IB Jessan. If you would like to send your comments or questions, send them to BarrenSpace, that's B-A-R-R-E-N-S-P-A-C-E, at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail at telephone number 707-847-6682. That's 707-847-NOVA. And uh, we'll play your feedback on the show. Also go to my blog site, albi.ws, for the newest episode. There you can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you go to barrenspace.com, that has information on all our podcasts that we do here. And um, just check it out. You might find one you like. And now for our guest today, my good friend, Gary Balser. Hello, Gary. How you doing, Al? Good, good. Thank you for uh, being part of A Conversation with Albie. Oh, my pleasure. I want to talk a little bit about you and your life. Okay. I know some of it because we've been friends for how long? Um, since I was 20. So 19 years now. That's crazy. Yes. It doesn't seem like it, does it? Uh, Time flies. It does. (laughs) Even when you're not having fun. Exactly. Let's just start at the beginning. Okay. My beginning or our beginning? Your beginning for for the beginning and then our beginning. (laughs) Uh, In the beginning, I was born in Flint, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So uh, I am a Michigan and Alliance fan. This is 1973, right? Correct. All right. Um. Moved to Florida when I was 13, and not too much happened my first 13 years. When I was a kid, just into sports, 
baseball was my biggest thing. But uh, when I moved down here, my life kind of changed very drastically. I wasn't so much into sports. I loved watching it, but I got into music, got into performing, um, wanted to hear the roar of the crowd. So uh turned into more from a sports-minded entertainment into a show or a gimmick type of an entertainment. I just learned that when I moved down here that I wanted to be an entertainer. I wanted to hear people laugh. I wanted to hear people cheer, I guess, lack for a better word. So I, when I moved down here, I got into music. Tell me a little bit about your early days in music. I know uh, I met one of your bands. One of them? Or uh, the band? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, basically, I, I loved rock, but I liked also incorporating a little bit of the classical movements kind of like a rush i really love rush rush is one of my top three bands so they have a lot of movement um they don't just stick with three chords and and the same key and and the same time signature throughout the entire song i like to hear a change in music and and then make it flow make it work i started off playing the bass and the piano so you know when you think of bass players getty lee is always going to be in somebody's top two so that's, you know, that was, that was my musical influence. Um, didn't get to play out live as much as I would have liked to, mainly because I always wanted to go somewhere. I always wanted to be somebody. I always wanted to make it big. And for me, just finding the right group of guys that had the same mindset, the drive to sacrifice certain things in order to get where you wanted to go. And I never got around that group. So, you know, to me, practice time became let's get stone time. and I'm one of the few people I know that's never smoked dope. So it got very tedious trying to make sure that the drummer wasn't too drunk to go on that night or, you know, to get the guitar player to want to practice more than two songs before he started to get stoned. Yeah, they're more into the rock and roll lifestyle than the music itself. Yeah, they, they wanted to live the rock and roll lifestyle without the money, without the fame, without the ability to enjoy it. I think that's one of the reasons uh, you and me initially bonded is because we were the, one of the few people that both of us knew that weren't into drugs or drinking or anything like that at right. the time. And, you know, you're a couple years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And what, what I really connected with you on when we first met was you knew how to have fun and you were able to have fun without getting completely blitzed out of your mind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that at that time didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how to be fun or be funny or have a good time unless they were drinking or having drugs or whatever. So and that's I think that's one thing that, that helped you and I really start the friendship as quickly as we did and why I think it's lasted as long as it has. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you don't want to hang around with people that, uh, you know, if you drive somewhere with them, they might get arrested and you might get arrested with them. You know, right. stupid things that everybody takes for granted down here. Right. In yeah. Florida, it's like a huge drug capital. But when you meet somebody who's not into that kind of stuff, it's refreshing. Right. Well, and, you know, I also don't want it to come across that we are prudes by any stretch of the no, imagination. Not, not at all. But it just, we didn't need to do all that in order to have a good time. It was very refreshing. Uh, you have some siblings? Yes. I know one of them pretty well, Chris. Yes. Tell me about your family. My family is extremely scattered, mainly because most of the family were so much alike. You get all of us together. It's like oil and water. Don't mix all that well. So we clash, So, but it doesn't mean that we don't love each other. 
like I said, I've, I've got family still up in Michigan. Uh, I've got a lot of family spread all over Florida, but I've got two brothers, Chris and Matt. My mom lives in Fort Myers, Florida, and Chris has his own AC company doing great, and he's got a beautiful wife and three great kids, uh, Jasmine, Haley, and Seth. Um, and then Matt, Matt is kind of the recluse of the family. Everybody knows he's there or that he exists, but nobody knows where he's at. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he, he likes to be by himself. You know, don't bother me. I won't bother you. Um, you know, let me know if there's a family thing going on. I will show up, but he doesn't go out of his way to call. He doesn't go out of his way to see how you're doing. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. He's... You know, he likes his privacy. He's just a very private person. I think I met Matt twice. Yeah, 19 years, yeah, twice. <laughs> 19 years. But he seemed like a great kid. Yeah. Um, probably not a kid anymore, huh? Uh, no, he's 34. Wow. 35. 30, somewhere. That's crazy. Yeah, he still looks 18, though. Jerk. <laughs> uh, good at computers, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Um, there was one time. Quick story about Matt. Don't make it quick. Oh, all right. Well, he says... Uh, I, he was showing me, you know, he he had gotten a couple more pieces uh, to add on to his computer, and he ended up having to take the side panel off of his computer because he had so many wires and it was overheating. And just he added fans, added hard drives, added this, added that. And I said, Matt, how much, you know, I said, what do you got in here? He goes, Gary, I can't put a number or a price on what I've got here, but let's just say. Most of the United States governments wish they had the, a computer <laughs> built like this. And I just started <laughs> laughing. And at one point, he was actually thinking that he might have to go to a liquid-cooled setup because he had so much going on. You know, and it was all, all for his games. You know, he's, he's a huge gamer. But just to be able to do what he wanted to do, it was, you know this game that game and there's been times where i'd come he'd have three games going at once and on four different screens i'm like what in the world are you doing my friend steve's like that too and I'm, i can't get that much into games because it's just so hard and confusing for me right i'm more of a choose your own adventure kind of game player yeah you know i like some of the first player games but you know world of warcraft I've watched him play for 15 minutes, and it's almost like he grows a third hand for all the hot buttons to do for the spells, and then the this, and then, I mean, I'm like, no, I I don't want to sit at the computer that long to learn <laughs> how to be able to, you know, do all that. I, it's, it's just not me. I can use a computer. I can change out a hard drive if necessary, but I don't. I don't spend that much time on it to want to get that good and waste that much time. <laughs> I do have other things I like to do. Yeah, and <laughs> time does fly when you're on the computer. It seems to go a lot quicker than normal time. So, uh, how old were you when we met? I know I was like 18, just turning 18, 17, I was, turning 18. I was 20. I uh, wasn't yet old enough to drink. Um, and uh, I got laid off from a job. I uh, was doing uh, underground utility work for uh, a company. We came to the end of the job, and they didn't get the bid for the next phase of the job in Cape Coral. And so I had to you know, look for another job because I, I got laid off, and uh, I, started, I went into Perkins. And that's where you were the graveyard, when Perkins used to be open 24 hours. And that was the only position that they had. You were the only guy <laughs> that they had working, and they were so happy that I opted, you know, I'll, you know, just give me a job. I'm ready to work. And so they put me on graveyard and you were the one that trained me how to cook at Perkins 
graveyard shift. Wow, that was a long time ago. That was a, yeah, 19 years ago. Yeah, I remember being just extremely happy that they had any help for me at all. <laughs> I think I was working eight days a week. Yeah, at that yeah. point. Yeah, there was uh, I think six, seven months into working a little story with you, um, and just it, it it cracks me up. They were had so many people call off, and they knew that the management knew that if they called Al, you'd come in. At that time, you did not know how to say no. I didn't. So they would call you up because this person called off, that person called off. And and so not only were you doing a graveyard and working late, then, you know, there were times where you ended up working through graveyard, through the um, morning shift, and they tried to let you go out early. And then something else happened. You'd, you'd go home for four hours. But like five days in a row, you were – it just kept calling – and it was about midnight. It was me, you, and Connie. You were on one side working by yourself. It was me and Connie on the other. And there was something was going on, and we were laughing at you because it's just you were just making some goofy mistakes. <laughs> you turned around, and just the look on your face, it was, leave me alone. The sun's come up five times today. <laughs> just, and it just kind of put everything to perspective. What we what you had gone through, and you might in five days, you probably worked ninety hours and slept maybe three. Yeah. You know, and so it, just the look on your face and you you were just so uh confused. <laughs> yeah. And it just cause you didn't know which way was up. My Basically, brain. yeah, your brain shut down and said, okay, I'm done. So, and, and me and Connie just, we just laughed and said, okay, we're, you, you try to close your end. We'll try to handle everything yeah. down here, try to get you out early. And actually, Connie was supposed to go home early that night. Mm-hmm. And she ended up staying so you could go. Yeah, I finally just, got some sleep that night, yeah. I think. Well, that night, day. Yeah, whatever it was. Because <laughs> I think I ended up picking up your next shift. Because I had, I was uh, working graveyard that night. They sent you home, and then I had the following night off. But I think I picked it up, so you could actually get a day off because you'd already put in eighty hours. Yeah, I was crazy back then. I don't know how I did it. Now, yeah. if I can do thirty six, I'm lucky. <laughs> I guess that's why maybe. Well, we're getting older. Yeah, we are. Yeah, well, let let the young kids. Yeah, I let them do a lot now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the old guy, even though I don't feel like the old guy. They think I am, so I'm like, I go with it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that happened one other time in my career, and the regional manager actually came down to send me home because I had like 50 hours on a Wednesday or Thursday <laughs> or something. I just was there 24 hours, right. three, four days straight. Crazy way to make a living. I think that was all for like seven bucks an hour back then. Uh, well, no. Graveyard was eight. Is that what I made? Yeah. yeah and unless you'd had a few years in at Perkins, but they started me at eight because it was Graveyard. If I um, would have started day shift... Which was the shift I wanted. I'm more. Uh, I'm a morning person. I prefer to, you know, wake up, start my day, get my day over with, and have the rest of the day to myself. Yeah. But um, that was seven fifty, and I said, well, for an extra fifty cents more, twenty years ago, eight eight dollars an hour. That wasn't bad. No, it, it no for, for it what wasn't. we do. You know, yeah, it's hard work, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do it. You know? No, and that's why you only get eight bucks an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so we met like that at Perkins. Mm-hmm. I was, I was training you to cook. Mm-hmm. And, um, as I remember the topic came up of, you were looking for a roommate and I was about to turn 18 and I yeah. had all this money saved up and it just seemed to work out that it was a good idea that I'd move in with you. Yeah. Well, what was funny was here from my point of view, I had a three bedroom house that I was, uh, trying to keep up for my mom. Okay. It was her home, her house. 
Um, but she had moved in with her boyfriend and because he didn't want to live in Cape Coral and he had his own house in Fort Myers. So, you know, I was 20. I, you know, I said, Mom, I'll, I'll take over, you know, pay the mortgage for you, blah, blah, blah. And um, I had another lady. I, I forget how old she was, but she had a son that was all, almost my age. He was my roommate. And then she needed a place, and I let her stay. She must have been 40, 45, somewhere in there. And every time it came to pay the bills, she didn't have it. I'm like, what are you doing with your money? So I was getting further and further and further behind. Finally, it got to the point to where I was like, you got to go. You're costing me more money. you know." And here was an 18-year-old kid who was responsible enough, or actually more responsible, than this 43, 45-year-old woman with two kids. And I had I, I hated to do it, but I had to kick her out. Mm-hmm. So, and when I kicked her out, you moved in. That was a great day. My parents were very sad that I was leaving. I didn't leave because I didn't want to live with them or didn't like them. I just wanted to be on my own. I was 18. Right. I wanted to get a girlfriend. <laughs> and you wanted a safe place to bring her back. Yes. <laughs> When you're 18 years old, that's your priority, I think. Uh, yeah, more than likely. Women, uh, 18-year-old boy. Yeah, 18-year-old boy, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, well, great here, time here's, here's a question, though. All right. How long did were you living with me before you finally got that girl over? Hmm. Trying to think. Six months? Was it that, I that soon? So. I thought it was closer to a year. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I moved yeah. out. Yeah, it was close to a year. <laughs> because because I remember back then, birthday, I remember yeah. back then, yeah. you didn't quite have the game that you did now. No, no. I had no clue on how to handle women, you know? <laughs> oh, that was funny. No clue at, at all. Uh, you helped a lot in that. I grew up a lot in that house, and it was a great time. Yeah. When I moved in, I was a virgin. I'd mm. never even kissed a girl, believe it or oh, not. See, I don't remember that. I knew you were a virgin because some of the questions you were asking me, <laughs> but... This is like my college days, I guess you would say, you mm-hmm. know? I was a very shy guy, and I was very, uh, like, a shut-in, you know, yeah. as a teenager, because I was heavy and, you know, just shy. And uh, I was outgoing at Perkins, but then as soon as I clocked out, I was, you know, the shy guy again. Yeah, it went into your bedroom and yep. stayed there. Yeah. yeah. Remember the time we went down to the beach cruising around? No. Yeah. I've been hitting the head a lot. <laughs> Uh, we went down to Fort Myers Beach, and uh, I wanted the air conditioner on, so uh, I left the windows uh, all the way rolled up with my tin on, and we couldn't pick up any chicks because I didn't have the windows. Right. It, it, the try. Okay, I do remember that because we're trying to explain to you how are we going to talk to any women when we're driving slow down the beach if you've got the AC on and the windows up. <laughs> and you're, you're having a hard time trying to grasp that. I didn't think it all through <laughs> back then. But to your defense, you know, it was Florida in August, 95-degree weather. (laughs) Uh, It was hot. Yes. Pointless to drive down there like that. Yes. Oh, we had some crazy roommates and stuff and some good times in that house. Let's talk about 2542 Southwest First Avenue. You still remember that? Oh, I can't forget it. (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, the house is no longer there. It does not exist anymore. You have Mm -hmm. to time travel to find it. Yes. Um, They uh, put in... Uh, a highway, I guess you would call it, basically um, right through where the house used to be. So, and every people say that they've seen the house, but they're trying, they can never remember exactly where it was, but they know that was the house. It got moved. It got moved, yeah. Um, 
but it is, you know, the area that it used to be uh, is now the middle westbound lane of Veterans Memorial Highway. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy because I tell people, that's where I lost my virginity. And they're like, in the middle of the highway? I was like, yeah, I was a wild, crazy guy back then, you know, right in the middle of the highway. So, but yeah, that's, uh, um, my mom was married, um, and her and her husband at the time had the house built. Uh, I moved, I lived there for all of my high school years, moved out. And then when I moved out, they, she got a divorce and a couple of years went by. She met another man, moved to Fort Myers and I moved back into the house. So crazy. And I think I finally left it when I was 22. 22. I think so. 22 seems very young now, but back then we thought we were all grown up. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I re- remember reading a plaque uh, that says, Hey, teenagers, why don't you get your own place, get a job, pay your own bills right now while you know everything? <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it's so true. You know, you know, I'm going to be 40 in a year. That's next insane. Year. I'm going to be 40, and it's amazing what I've learned even recently. You know, and you go and you think back when you were 22, you know, oh, I I got this. I got this. It's no, you know, no big deal. No big deal. And then, you know, something happens and it's funny. You hope you have a good enough relationship that you can go, mom, um, I got a question (laughs) (laughs) or dad, I got a problem. And hopefully your dad goes, son, what do you need? (laughs) But yeah, that's, I think you start to realize you're growing up when you start realizing all the things you don't know yet. Right. And then actually start to want to learn. Yes. Because, you know, all through high school, the last thing you want to do is learn anything. Because they're forcing learning down your throat. But when you get out and you start growing up, maturing, I get maturing is probably the best word for it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start maturing, you, you go, okay, I don't know this. I want to know it. Well, let me learn it. And then and you do. Tell me some Albie stories that happened in that house. Oh, good. Do you really? Go on and on. On and on. Yes. Well, there's two that stick out in my head the most. One, I'll get the, the naughty one out <laughs> first. Um, I w- Again, you know, uh, I was working graveyards at Perkins, and you had the night off. And I got home at quarter after six in the morning. Sun's just coming up. The birds are chirping, but I'm ready for bed. And I opened the door, <laughs> and... In, right in front of the TV <laughs> in the living room, there's a roll of toilet paper, a few things of balled-up toilet paper, and your clothes. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? So then I'm like, I don't know what, what <laughs> I don't know how I thought of this, uh-huh. but I went right into the, I opened up the cabinet, hit eject on the VCR, and out came this video raunch o rama <laughs> and i went you uh, uh, no 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 I, i'm so tired i think i kicked your door open and went al clean up your mess oh, 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 okay 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 like oh man i was i i was like really and then after i slept woke up talked to you what what 
what happened? You, you, you said, my VCR in my room broke. There was only one other VCR. That was out here. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, and I just, and I, I look back at it now and I just laugh it. But at the moment, I'm like, you know, you put all this together and then wads up balls of toilet paper right in the, and then your clothes are wadded up tighter than the balls of toilet paper. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Uh, that was that's one story that sticks out. Another story, um, I think there was I had a couple issues with my car. You 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 could tell that you learned that I was mechanically inclined. Very, you know, uh, water pump. You know, I can change a water pump. I can change out an alternator. I can do this. I can do that. And I, you know, and I again, you you had to work that day, and I had just gotten home from working the graveyard i'm you didn't have to be in to like eight i think it was and i you know i got home i ate something i'm just relaxing i'm getting ready to fall asleep and then i hear this light little tap 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 on the door i'm like oh my god what (laughs) and then i didn't i didn't answer i was like i'm just gonna be asleep i'm just gonna be asleep i'm you know and i hear hear you tapping again and i'm like what al and in the softest, meekest, most polite voice that I've ever heard at the time, I hear you say, make my car go. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I guess your battery, it was either your battery or your alternator. Yeah. Your, you know, the alternator wasn't charging the battery. So, But I just said, my keys are so somewhere and you, you just take it and because I knew you'd be back before I needed my car and then we could you know, fix your car. But I was just like, make my, make my car go. What what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, my car won't start. Well, just take my car. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. But it was just this, the, it was how you said it. I just, I, I hear it in my head. Just make my car go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. funny. That was a green, uh, 78 Dodge Diplomat, I think. Yeah. Huge big, metal. huge. Yeah. Oh, it was huge. Yeah. You could almost play, f- you know, football on the hood. It was just, <laughs> and it, what was funny to me is you had no idea where the corners of your car was, <laughs> but yet you've never hit anything with it. I did hit the Perkins building once. <laughs> and I dented it. The, the building. <laughs> Not the car? Not the car, the building. It's still there, if you ever go by there. Really? Yeah, in the back. Oh, that's funny. They painted over it, but it's still a dent. Yeah, you could fix anything. Uh, I have my moments. When it comes to vehicles, I'm a great parts changer, but don't ask me to diagnose. If you know what the problem is, if it's a transmission, I could drop your transmission, put a new transmission in. I could do that. But don't ask me to diagnose that it is the transmission. I'm not that. I I can't do that. I'm a great parts changer, but I I can't diagnose crap. Yeah, you had a great car. It was a, what was it? A 79... Mustang. Yeah, it's black, right? Black. I remember you let me borrow it to go to Tampa to see Aerosmith, my yes. first concert. Yep. That was great. Because we didn't think your green, no. the Green Goblin would get you no. back. I think they called it the Shaggin' Wagon because it had a furry dashboard. Yes. <laughs> yes. I took fake fur and it covered the <laughs> dashboard. Why? I don't know. Well, you said it was cracked. It was cracked. That's oh, right. Yeah. So you did, you know, just to make it look better. 
have fake fur. What color? What color okay, was it? Black? I don't it, remember. And here it is, the early '90s, and <laughs> you've got a car straight out of the '70s. I'm like, yeah, Al, you were born at the wrong time. Yeah, I pimped my ride before people knew how to do that. No, you pimped your ride 20 years too late. Oh, is that what I did? Okay. Oh, that's funny. Wow, we had some good times in that house. We had some roommates. Uh, who we had your brother Chris. My brother Chris for a while. Um we had a girl, Sean. Sean. Yeah, um her. Oh god, who else was there? Who was the guy that hung out in the top of the hallway, like on the ceiling? You remember? No. He was a skinny kid and he would like lean against two walls and he would be on the top of the ceiling oh. in the hallway. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but Yeah. Hmm. He would shimmy himself yeah, up and, and just sit like, up there. Hang out on yeah, the ceiling. Um yeah. Oh, what was his name? We got rid of him. Yeah, I think so. Basically, what he... It, it, I can't remember his name, but I i believe we were... I was having issues with him, you know, and he just started to date this girl. And I think... And I, and I remember telling him this to his face. I wish I could remember his name. But I remember telling him, look, if you want me to be the bad guy, I will be. You know, if you want me to, to kick you out so you can go to her and have her, oh, Blue Honey, you can come and live with me. If that's what you want, I'll do it. I said, because your actions here, I'm not the bad guy here. You are. You're not paying your part of the bills. You're two weeks late. You're, you know, you're not cleaning up. You're not doing your dishes. I mean, but yet it's almost like you want me to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So you can go to her and go, Gary's a big jerk. He kicked me out. And she can go, oh, poor baby. Why don't you come live with me? I'm like, if that's what you want, man, I'll play the bad guy. Get out. <laughs> Learning to be a heel early. Yes. <laughs> that, yes. As a matter of fact, I was. Sean. Sean. She was there for a while. She was a nice girl. Yeah. My first kiss, by the way. <gasps> what? Didn't she turn lesbian? Yeah, I have that effect. <laughs> I guess once you have me, you know, what else is there? So you got to try women? Uh, or I'm such a turnoff that they <laughs> Depends how you look at it. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to interview them, too. Yeah. I'll put them on the list. Yeah. There was a Christmas time mistletoe thing, but I was excited. Oh, was so it really wasn't a kiss. It was a mistletoe-obligated kiss. Mm, probably. <laughs> it still counts, though, damn it. It's still real to me. Any other Albie stories from there? Well, you know, a lot of it is a blur because a, a, a lot of it went by so fast because it, there was, you know, a lot going on, you know, trying to... And we were working a lot at the time. Yeah, too. and we were. It, I think for like three years in a row, um, you were had to work on my birthday. So it was almost like we were we were friends for six or seven years before we got to hang out with each other on each other's birthday. Right. Because we were so busy covering for the... Other. If I wasn't working, you were working. Right. Yeah, we were the only two graveyard guys. It was a good roommate situation, kind of, because whenever we were home, we pretty much had the house to ourselves. Right. Because the other one was at work. Right. Uh, the Cundalungus story. Oh, that's right. Um, The way I remember it, now mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah, everybody's got their own interpretation. But the way I remember it is I was dating a girl at Perkins that said something to you about me and my ability to perform with my tongue. <laughs> and I remember watching TV, and then you came up to me, stood right in front of the TV, and you went, Gary, would you teach me Cunlingus? <laughs> no, Al, would you go away? <laughs> but, and, but you were so 
adamant about it. I, I tried to look around you to watch TV, and you'd get right in my way. And no matter what I did, you. But you got to. I, you 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 have to. If you're my friend, you'll teach me. So I know what I'm doing. I just I I know I'm a virgin. Um, but I don't want to. Um, but I still want to be good. I think is what you said. I'm like oh my god, and I'm like uh, what. A, Okay, Al, give go get one of your hustlers or playboys, and you brought it out. I'm like try flipping through the pages, <laughs> trying to find a good view of a woman's vagina, hopefully spread. Aren't we always? Uh, pretty much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, okay, here, this, if, okay, here, okay, you see that? That's the button. That, and you got these here are also sensitive, and I'm, you know, and this is, I guess, this is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> But I for, I think it was ten minutes. You wouldn't get out of my way <laughs> until, and so I spent fifteen minutes with you. I think with a hustler hmm. trying to point out and give you pointers on what to do. I think it worked. I think I learned. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> but you never know. They could be lying. Well, then it, okay. Now you're married. Now I'm married I should now. probably ask her if it's any good, and if it is, she needs to thank me. <laughs> like, send you a thank you card, maybe? Yes! Yeah, I, that would well, be nice. See, I have older brothers, but they're so much older than me that they moved out on their own and moved across the country before I was growing up. Right, well, if I remember correctly, you've got nephews that are older than you. Correct. Yeah, so... It's just weird. It's unusual. Yeah. I'm sure it happens to a lot of people, but, you know, it's not the norm. Right. But I always considered you like an older brother because that's the kind of relationship we had. Right. And we did. We were really good friends, but there was that sibling connection. Yeah, like you would do anything for me, I would do anything for you that we could. Right. So I'm sure that's why I came to you for those kind of things. It, yeah, but, you know, you would, the way you came to me... <laughs> And asked me were so far out of left field <laughs> and so stunning to me. It, my first reaction was, "No, Al, go away. Why, why me?" <laughs> well, I guess it's pretty good if there's a rumor going around work that you're good at it, right? Yeah, but the sad thing is, I only dated one woman out of all those women that were there. But that was the rumor that was going around. The, this. Did you start the rumor? No. As a matter of fact, I did not. Okay, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you heard it from her, so... Yeah, yeah. Right. Just to give you an example of how great this guy is, um, back in the day before TiVos, uh, if you weren't home to watch your program, the only thing you could really do is set a VCR to record it. Right. And I'm a huge Star Trek fan even back then, and um, something happened to where my VCR messed up, I don't know, in Cape Coral, the electric blinked out before we had backups, and right. it, something happened, and it didn't record, so I, I missed it, and there was no way I was going to be able to see that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And you had watched it because, of course, I was working, you were off, right? and I was so devastated when I came home because that's what I lived for, was that week's episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Right, right. And for 45 minutes, you went into detail and told me the whole story of what <laughs> happened, line for line, and acted it out. <laughs> play by play. I play by played it. And it was the best thing ever, and when I finally did see that episode, it was exactly the same. I felt like I had seen it before. But that's how much of a good friend you are. Well, but, you know, what the thing is, is when you've got a friend who has his own Starfleet uniform, <laughs> you know how much that means to them. Yes. So, I mean, and, and you were such a good friend to me. If I needed 20 bucks, man, you were there. Mm -hmm. If I needed anything, you were there. So it, you made it very easy to want to be there for you in any way possible. 
you know, unless you were talking sexual issues. But <laughs> but again, you would come so far out of left field with it that no, Al, go away. <laughs> but you know, you you make it easy to want to be your friend. Well, thank you. Back at you. No, well, thank you. We did have a little bit of a falling out here and there because uh, of a girl, and I think that was my fault. Um, I take the blame for that. Well, see, and I probably could have handled a few things differently mm-hmm. as well. Um, because of what she did to me mm-hmm. and how she went behind my back about a few things, that um, it, it, it hurt me more than I think you realized. You know, but, you know, it... it, it if I would have been more honest with you back then mm-hmm. about the situation, then maybe we wouldn't have had some of the arguments that we did. And that's basically what what they were more than anything were just you know stupid arguments yeah. over a girl. Stupid. But again, back then being a a boy, not a man, you know, that's what we were hardwired to do: fight over women to a certain extent, you know. But also not you know letting each other know. What true feelings there were, oh, I see what you you're know, saying, yeah. it, it, you know, try to be a man. I'm 23 <laughs> years old, 24 years old. I'm a man. That don't, that don't bother me. Yeah. But it bothered me more than I let on. Hmm. So, yeah, we live and learn. You definitely live and learn. Life is a lesson that you learn every day. I think. Right. But I'm glad the way it all worked out. Right. Because we wouldn't be as happy as we are today. You exactly. Me, so. Right. That's good. Yeah. Um, somehow I ended up moving out, getting my own place. I think uh, the knowledge of uh, they were going to move the house or it was getting... Yeah, there was there was a couple issues um, that they were trying... My mom was trying to sell the house, and she ended up having to get back a hold of her ex-husband. Um, she was getting ready to get married, from what I understand. Um, I had issues with my brother Chris... Again, growing up, boy crap. Um, I think it was shortly after that, I ended up moving to St. Pete for a year just to get out of Cape Coral, Fort Myers completely. So you moved out. I think what ended up happening is my ex-stepfather ended up moving back in the house to help me fix everything up, get the house ready to be sold because they got wind that the the Veterans Memorial might be coming through. So they figured, let's sell now so we don't have to worry about having the house having to be moved, blah, blah, blah. So, But I, that's that's kind of what led to us moving apart. Yeah, it was because uh, we went from hanging out with each other like every day because we lived and worked together. So right. you kind of have to and to not. Right. I remember during that time... Um, I think uh, I had my things packed at my next place that I was living mm-hmm. off of Skyline. And a friend of one of my roommates or acquaintance of one of my roommates ended up stealing a box of my CDs. Yes. And I, 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 I came home and I was somebody had broken my room and stolen all my CDs because they were in one box. Right. And I was so upset and I didn't know what to do. I was like, if there was a superhero, <laughs> he, would, he would go and get my CDs back. And I was like, wait a second. I know a superhero. <laughs> You know, you weren't Thunder at the time yet. Right. But you were Gary, and you were a superhero. Uh, yeah. And so I went and got you, and we hadn't seen each other for months, maybe a year. Uh, I don't think it was quite that long. I, I, I think it was four, maybe five months, if that. You have a better memory than me. <laughs> That's shocking. I know. Chair shots I've had to the head. Better long-term memory. Yeah. yeah. Probably. But I went and got you, and you're like, okay, let's go. Where is he? Yeah. And um, you, I think you made a, one phone call. 
and you found out that he was right around the corner, right on Santa Barbara, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. We pulled in, knocked on the door. As soon as the guy opened the door, I basically, right now, if you would have, you know, probably if the cops would have been called, I would have been breaking and entering for the most part because as soon as the door was open, I pushed that door in and I came in and I said, okay, which one of you? And then you pointed out to that kid and I said, if you've got his CDs, if you don't give them back to him right now, I said, I am going to beat your ass. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and I think you got all but four of your CDs uh, because he loaned a couple of them out or something. I got most of them back, but and you were like, are they all there? And you were doing your thunder voice. Yeah, I, I was getting, I was getting all bowed up, tough. <laughs> and, and I was like looking through them, and I was like, oh, Star Trek 25th anniversary audiobooks isn't here. And you're like, where's the CD? Right? And he's like, I don't know, I don't know. And you're like, how much did it cost you? And I was like, forty dollars. And you're like, give me forty dollars. Did I? I yeah. don't remember that. And you're like, forty dollars now, right? So he's like, this. I never seen somebody so scared in my life. I mean, I'm sure his pants were dirty. <laughs> Um, but he had had to go back in his house and scramble together and get all the money from everybody in the house so they wouldn't get beat up either. <laughs> you know, and I'm standing behind you all tough, like, because I'm behind you. I'm like, yeah, what he said. You know, even though I'm freaking out what's going on. And But they didn't know both of us are nice guys and at the time. or Well, you know, being in the gym, okay, I've been a personal trainer. You know, I've been a gym rat for 20 years, roughly. Um, but my whole feeling is... What's more important, looking like you can bench press 300 pounds or being able to bench press 300 pounds? I think looking. Looking like you can bench press 300 pounds because if somebody asks you, can you bench press 300 pounds? Yeah. If you look it, they'll believe you. But 300 pounds is a lot of weight. I bench pressed 300 pounds once in my life, okay? But everybody thinks I can. If they believe it, I'm not going <laughs> to tell them no. Uh, you were definitely very big then. And the kid got the 40 bucks and gave it to me. Yeah. Uh, to this day, uh, s- some of my CD collections still have his girlfriend's initial written on a Sharpie on them. Really? Yeah. But, you know, I got them back. That's the important part. <laughs> but uh, you were the go-to guy whenever I had a problem like that. So. Well, I'm glad I could be there. Yeah. That was uh, your first time as Thunder that I saw. Yeah. That was probably the beginning. Because it, um, it was only... Two years after that, that I started training to be a professional wrestler. Before that, um, you got married at one time. Yes. I remember going to your wedding. Yeah, that was so short. Um, the ceremony or the marriage? Both. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing shorter than the marriage was the ceremony. Um, what, yeah. What was your name? Uh, Cassie. <laughs> you had to think about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, the thing is, is I'm engaged to be married. Oh, now, that's right. So you got, you got, you found the one finally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it took me some time to find the right one to even want to even ask that question. Yeah. To, but and I did. She's great. Congratulations. Thank you very I'm so much. Happy for I, you. Oh, I'm I am extremely happy. Yeah, she looks very pretty. I've seen her on Facebook. I haven't met her in person, but she looks very pretty. Uh, we'll work on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that and your marriage. Um, first marriage. Well, we were we were young, um, and she was a couple years younger than me. She wanted to have kids, and I was working. I ended up getting a job with the city of Cape Coral, and um, she wanted to have kids. We were, you know, we even started, you know, talking about kids before we got married, and um, she she got herself checked out. I got myself checked out, and there was 
problems with me. Mm, okay. okay. And that kind of played in her head because she was so young. Um, in vitro fertilization was just coming out and wasn't, you know, as, as great as it is today. Um, some of the fertility drugs weren't even on the market yet. So there was, we were, we were just too young and we didn't know how to ask questions, you know? Um, and that ended up causing her to look at things differently. And I ended up, paying her way to move to Atlanta. Hmm. So that's where she lives now? As far as I know. Uh, was that a good learning experience? It was. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned is the joy and the um, pride of calling a woman my wife. I knew I wanted to be married again, but it was going to take one hell of a woman to get me to do that again. Hmm. And I do honestly believe I found that woman. Um, the the pride of inter- you know the difference between oh this is my girlfriend and this is my wife. Mm-hmm. The dynamics is just so much greater that you know it it really told me that I am the marrying kind. I like being married. I want to be married. But like I said, it was going to take one hell of a woman to get me to do that again. And it just took 15 years to find her. Well, at least you know you're not just shacking up with anybody. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and I, that was that was never, never my deal anyway. You know, if I got to the point to where I was having a relationship, a sexual relationship with the woman, I was looking to... to to see how long I can make this last. I wasn't really ever a one-night stand guy. I didn't like that. I respected women too much. And part of that was I was I grew up basically with a single mom and I saw what, you know, jerks men were to my mom. So, I never wanted to be that way. And so I always wanted I I was always very respectful to women because of that and you know, and I knew I knew the type of woman that I wanted and it took me 15 years to, to find her Amy that's awesome yeah okay let's uh, move on to your professional wrestling career okay uh, let me play your um, entrance theme okay and then we'll get back to talking about Gary Thunder sounds like a plan Gary Thunder's entrance music. Welcome back. We're talking to Gary Balser, and he is also known as AKA Gary Thunder. Mm-hmm. That is your uh, professional wrestling personality. Okay. And thanks for going with Gary Thunder first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I call you Thunder. Right. A lot of people do. Well, um, 
some people, you know some of my past when it comes to the wrestling, so uh, some people like to bring up the other gimmick I had first. <laughs> Just kind of rub it in my face. Yeah, and I know we'll, I, we'll eventually get to that. I wouldn't mention gorgeous Gary Glitter ever. <laughs> no? You just did. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that conversation. Alright, so um, I remember us uh, when we lived at 2542 Southwest First Avenue. I remember us uh, play wrestling here and there. Right. I remember, I think you wore my pink wrestling tights at one point. No, I tried to put them on. I was way too big for them. Oh, I couldn't get them on. Yeah, I'm a little bit smaller than yeah. you. Yeah. Um, did you wear the mask ever? No. That, that cover up this pretty face? That's true. That was my whole thing about <laughs> wearing a mask. All so. right. So we're both a little into wrestling. How did you get into professional wrestling, actually? Um. Well... I knew that I wanted to be a performer. We mentioned that earlier. I liked to hear the roar of the crowd. And when the band and the music wasn't taking off like I wanted to, and I was just going through depression, and I was in a gym, and I was getting bigger, and I'm you know flipping the channels, and you and I were watching wrestling one night, um, Monday Night Raw. And I heard the roar of the crowd, and I went, okay, I'm going to look into this. Because it was right then I made the connection that, if I'm going to do music, I got to get with a group of guys that feels the same way. But when it comes to wrestling, all I need to do is find the right teacher to train me in professional wrestling. And then it's all up to me on whether or not I'm going to be good enough to get on TV and become big and famous and do what I want to do to entertain thousands of people at a time. So I started looking into it and uh, I went up to the Tampa area, looked at a couple of the places there and... They had great reputations, they had great people that came out of those camps, but they wanted so much money, and I didn't quite have that kind of money at the time. So I I just, I kept looking, I kept looking, and then right in Cape Coral, they were having a show, and here's Greg DeHammer Valentine's headlining it with a guy that I kind of remembered, Rusty Brooks, and I'm like, wow, really? I went to that show, and it was right in Cape Coral at this... Redneck Bar is where it was being held. And they were doing a meet and greet at the bar next door. Um, and so I went next door after the show. I had a great time, loved the show. And I met a couple people. And the six foot eight monster by the name of Gator B. Long had a school right down in Naples. So I didn't have to relocate to Tampa. I didn't have to do nothing. And he was $2,000 cheaper than every other place that I could find. And I asked him, I said, you know, if I'm good enough, will there be a way for me to go to the WWE, get on TV? And he goes, uh, see Greg there? I said, yeah. And he goes, it's been a friend of mine for 20 years. If you're good enough, we'll get you looked at. He says, but you got to be good enough and you got to pay me first. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically that was the beginning. It was, and what, what was funny was he gave me his card. And he wanted to know, he wanted to see how dedicated I was, how honest, true to God that I wanted to do this. And I called him up. Hey, uh, Gator Belong, this is Gary. You met me at the Cape Coral show. Um, I'd like to come down and train with you. You know, let me know, you know, when, when's good for you. Kept calling, kept, I'm a, I think I called three, four times. And I think the fifth time I called, I said, Hey, Gator, I got cash. If you don't want my money, I'll go someplace else. Cause I'm done. I'm tired of calling you. Fine, I got an attitude. I'm like, okay, you know, enough is enough. How many times do I need to call somebody? So finally, when I said, okay, Gator, this is Gary again. Uh, I hope you got my other messages, but I got cash. If you don't want it, I'll take it someplace else and hung up. 
<laughs> it didn't take 30 seconds. And he, he was calling me right back. <laughs> and basically, it boiled down to he has learned that somebody who's dedicated and wants to put the time in is going to harass him to be trained. And that's what I was doing. I was harassing him to be trained. And then once I called him that last time and told him I had cash, if you don't want my money, I'll take it someplace else. He knew that I was serious. And then basically that was the start of my training and getting into the business and learning the business. Him and uh, Eric Storm basically beat the snot out of me for six, seven months before I even got my first match. And everybody says, oh, you do the fake wrestling. It, it is so funny to me to hear that. That it also hurts. Oh, it's all fake. It's all fake. It's all fake. And I've, I've had my nose broke. I've had black eyes. I've had fat lips. Um, at 35 years old, I had an x-ray at my lower back and part of my right hip. And they want to do a hip replacement on me. I'm only 35. They want to put pins and screws in my lower back when I'm ready to retire. So what part of all that is fake? And, you know, I, I had to take a, my, a step back. And, and look at it from another point of view. And a lot of people don't want to believe that two men with egos the size of the sun will go in there and basically, in all honesty, beat the snot out of one another all for the sake of entertainment. There's got to be a trick to it. Well, no, we get punched. We get kicked. If we get our eye gouged, did our eyes get gouged? I've had scrapes on my eyes. You know, but everyone says, oh, he, he's just play rake in your eyes. <laughs> well, there's, there's been times where I've had a patch over my eye because I got my eye gouged, I got my eye raked. So, you know, it, it, it's, it really, it really is upsetting to hear, oh, you do the fake wrestling. It's not real. And I had one, I was a personal trainer at a gym and I had this, uh, high school kid who said, oh, it's all fake. It's all fake. I said, I know how to wrestle. That was one of the things. You learn how to wrestle. And I had this collegiate-type wrestling. I worked this kid. And we did it without mats. We did it in the um, aerobics room. No mats, no nothing. I applaud him for that because he was looking for mats. He was, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, come on. If it's all fake, then you should have no problems wrestling me. And he and I went for almost 15 minutes until we were just too tired to go on. I couldn't pin him. He couldn't pin me. But he was so shocked at the training I had in wrestling that I received in pro wrestling school that's supposed to be fake on hip tosses and Oklahoma rolls and grappling and hooking and maneuvers and escapes. He was shocked that I knew all that. He didn't think that that is what is trained in school to do what we do on TV. Now, the one thing I will say is, yes, there is a show aspect to what we do, but everything that we do can end up putting a person in the hospital or, worst case scenario, in a coffin. Yeah, it happens. Yes, and it does. You know, I, I have friends that as something as simple, and people, you know, think of a DDT. Mm -hmm. Something as simple as a DDT has a friend of mine in a, in a wheelchair. He is a quadriplegic. So don't, don't ever say, oh, you do the fake wrestling. Because I know how to wrestle, and I will wrestle with anybody, and I can hold my own. But to say that what we do is fake in that ring. <laughs> it's like a hurtful word, it really is. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 it would be much easier for me to take if you were just to slap me in the face. It's so dismissive. Yes. Like all that you do and the people that you entertain and the hard work that goes into it. 
and the injuries and the aches and pains and right the hurting and being barely conscious on the whole drive home. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes it all seem like that was recent with me. Yeah. <laughs> You, you were there on that trip. I, I remember there. that now. I was there. Yeah, when you went right over the top rope and landed on a concrete floor on your head. My my feet got hooked on that top rope, and it and it was a low boy ring. And for the listener, a low boy is uh, a ring that it is only a foot and a half off the floor instead of your three to four foot off the floor. So that's what a low boy is. And because it was a low boy, and my feet got hooked. And it kind of slingshotted my head down. I didn't have enough time to brace myself to make sure that my head didn't hit first. Because I also didn't have the couple feet clearance either because it was a low boy. And I it just, my feet got hooked on that top rope and slingshotted me down. My head hit, split me open. And uh, apparently I was singing show tunes on the way home. <laughs> I don't remember. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, Eric Storm's son was very upset because he thought you were going to die. We all thought you might die. <laughs> he was convinced you were going to die. Right, right. But I've seen the video, and it's just so sick of you landing on your head like that. And you don't actually see your head, but you see your body and how it crumples when it hits the cement. Right, it's right. It's horrible. Yeah. I'd do it again, all for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. And there was, what, maybe 300 people there? I don't think there was quite that many, but it was a good crowd. Yeah. It was a good crowd for for an independent show. But I think that that match they said stole the show that night. Oh, uh, that, you know, he, that, just thinking about that, that entire match gives me goosebumps because, um, it was such a great match. And I would put that match up against any tag team match that was in WrestleMania the last three years. I bet you it would hold its own. I was very honored to be a part of it. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. That's uh, one of the fringe benefits of being your friend is you were able to get me into wrestling in a small way. Well, it was, it not, it's not a small way. It's amazing, and, and you learned this um, when you were going through school. Yeah, that was rough because I am not coordinated at all. And not at all, <laughs> but you make a great ref. I make an awesome ref, right? Uh, but I think you were so shocked, and, and this is one thing, too, that I love about you. You were so shocked at what you needed to learn just to be a ref. And then you got the bug. You wanted to do more than just be the ref. Then you all, all of a sudden, you wanted to learn how to be the bad guy manager. Yeah. And the aches and the pains and the learning. And you went through this, a lot of the same things that I did in order to be a professional wrestler. But you learned it. You were happy to learn it. And for somebody who is, uh, I'm sorry, Al, I really <laughs> am, but uncoordinated, unmotivated you found a motivation in you that i was so proud of you to do it and wanted to do it and how far you have taken it past even me you i mean you've got yourself in a bunch of other places you know that you did all on your own so and that makes me feel really good well, thank um, you yeah i have a lot of pride when i say yeah i I helped train him. <laughs> wow! Because you know, people say, "Oh, he's a good, he's a good ref, or he's a he's a really good uh, manager." You add to, and, and you've been in the business now long enough where you can you can go, "Oh my God, this manager is horrible. He's taken away from what's going on in the ring." Instead of adding to what's going on in the ring, you've learned that ability to add to what's going on in the ring without taking it away, and and you do it so well, and you do it very. St- sneakily (laughs) 
And I don't know if you even realize that you're doing it or if it was a conscious effort or if it was just the training. Um, say, <laughs> I'll say the training since you're here. No, uh, a lot of it is instinct, I think, from just being a fan for so long right. and looking, watching the greats do it. Right. And, you know, right. you don't want to steal away from the show and you don't want to. You don't want to make it all about you. Right. And that's one thing that I think that I have going for me is being a ref. Normally, I don't want it to be all about me. I don't want people to see me until there's a three count. Right. You know, which is the or, norm. Well, or, you know, somebody's yeah. pulling somebody's hair. Something. <laughs> but when I'm not, when I don't need to be seen, I don't want to be seen. Correct. You know, so. Right. But you taught me that as well. Yeah. I think uh, that tag team match, that was probably my best match as a manager that um, I was yeah. involved in. Yeah. That was one of the best. I did a, a singles match that you were a part of that could not have gone over the way it did unless you did the job that you did even though i had to take an umbrella upside the head jerk <laughs> i do it. <laughs> i do tend to hit a lot of people with umbrellas yes i'm not a very strong man so well, i have to use a weapon right well let's let the listener know too that my name is gary thunder my tag team partner is eric storm mm-hmm. so we get booked together as thunderstorm and we have you the weatherman as our manager so what what great prop to bring to the side of the ring than an umbrella so unfortunately i've taken the brunt of it yeah i don't have the best aim in the world. <laughs> jerk <laughs> it works we'll, work, we'll work on that <laughs> it works out sometimes but more often than not i mess up but then i'm in trouble the whole drive home yes so uh, we glanced over it a little bit earlier on, but uh, tell me more about Gorgeous Gary Glitter. Okay. Glitter came about because of Rusty Brooks. Uh, if anybody knows wrestling, you know, old school wrestling, Rusty Brooks was one of the greatest mouthpieces. If you asked him to cut a 20-minute promo, he could. He could go 20 minutes and, and wouldn't miss a beat. He was amazing. He wrestled the greats on TV, Hogan, Andre the Giant. Definitely, if you YouTube Rusty Brooks, you can see all these great matches that yes. he's been a part of, and it's just amazing. Yeah, uh, and he's he's got such... Uh, what I like to say about Rusty Brooks is, I was trained by Gator Belong, but it was Rusty Brooks that fine-tuned me, gave me these little little things. But he, he was running over in Lauderdale, and running these pretty big shows. But the one character that he always liked and wanted was a gay character. And I had this, at the time, this beautiful, long, straight, blonde hair. And I actually started to grow it because my grandmother said, Gary, grow your hair out. And my grandmother said, grow your hair out. Women pay thousands of dollars a year to have your hair color and how straight it is. Mm -hmm. So I started growing it out. And so I just started playing around with it. And I talked to Gator about it, and we came up with this gorgeous Gary Glitter persona, and it it took off so well. I actually did some television with it. It got me looked at by the feds. You talking the FBI? No, uh, <laughs> I, the the feds. Um, back then it was there was WCW and WWF, right. soon to become WWE, and. It did get me a lot of publicity. It got me a lot out there because not only was the character so over the top, but it was also a character that could wrestle. Okay. And I was able to really incorporate the gay factor, the gayness into a viable wrestler 
that could hold his slash her own. <laughs> and it really took off. And like I said, it, the, the character was so over the top, but I did such a good job with it that still to this day, I've been doing Gary Thunder for 15 years now. Still to this day, the three years I did Gorgeous Gary Glitter, maybe four years, I've had more men hit on me after a show in those four years than the entire 15 years of women hitting on me after a show <laughs> doing Gary Thunder. Hmm. So, um, you know, I, there, I remember distinctly this, the, he, who this guy was a, uh, I am sorry if this is a derogatory term, but flamer. I mean, he was just so, I thought gorgeous Gary Glitter was over the top. This guy was the legit thing. Came up to me. I was walking to my, uh, car. I had my duffel bag and I'm walking out and I hear, gorgeous, gorgeous. And I turn around and may I buy you a drink? And I looked at him and I said, and I just started grinning. I said, I'm sorry. I'm not gay. This look of shock and terror went on this. And, and he, this guy was only like five, four, might have weighed a hundred pounds. Um, oh, oh, oh my, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. He, he almost dropped to his knees to beg me not to hit him. Please, please don't hurt me. Don't, don't, don't hurt me. And, and I just, I laughed. I grabbed the hold of him. I gave the guy a hug. I felt so bad. I said, I said, brother, I said, no, no, for you to, to do that. I am doing my job that well in that ring. And he just, what? what? And I, I said, look, I'm not gay, but for you to want to take me out after the show, buy me a drink because you thought I was gay. I'm doing a good job in that ring. Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay. And he, really? You're, you're not, no, <laughs> I'm going home to my girlfriend now, <laughs> you know? And, and he, he, he couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden, this is like the second or third time I I did it that I had this run in with this guy. But he became such a huge fan that he was bringing all his friends to the shows now. People that wouldn't normally, you got to see this straight guy play gay. You got to see the straight guy play gay. And it just, it, it just took, just exploded in the Lauderdale, Miami area. And, um, there were moments or there were times where, I almost wanted to get an ego, but I had to bring myself back. No, you know, I'm, you know, if you've got 400 people that came to an independent show and 150 of them there are carrying your sign, you, you tend to get a little bit of an ego and want, you know, Hey, I, I need more money or how come I'm not, you know, getting a title shot? You know, 30% of the people that are here, are here to see me and me alone. They, you know, I, I deserve more money. I deserve a title shot. I deserve it. But no, no, that's, that's not, that's not how you were taught. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but, um, you know, at one point, um, uh, I started to get the same ref in my matches. Well, at, I, in my head, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. When I would go to try to kiss my opponent, they would always leave the ring, <laughs> which would leave me in the ring with the ref, Chuck Oren. Um, he and I, it was so funny. He's, he's, puts his hand on me to get me away from that side of the ring so the guy could have a clean. And I just, I don't know where it came from, but I grabbed him, brought him in, turned his head just enough so I wouldn't kiss him on the lips because <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> but 
I guess I'm gay enough to kiss a man on the cheek, <laughs> but planted a huge kiss on his face, and he ended up he you know backed up hit and he left the ring. Well, when I did that, it started a kiss the ref chant. <laughs> you know, so kiss the ref, kiss. The, I mean, and then you know the next show there was you know banners that said kiss the ref at an independent show. I mean, it, it just it really really just took off and um it was so funny to me you know but you know kiss the ref kiss the ref um and then there was a uh i did a a show last year where chuck he he left the businesses and is now back in chuck and i were in the same ring but i was gary thunder and i don't have the long blonde hair anymore i'm bald um but there were people that back then remembered me <laughs> doing that gimmick and remembering Chuck started a kiss the ref chant again. And what was funny was I turned around and said, I said, I'm Gary Thunder. I don't do that no more. <laughs> and then Chuck also heard it and says, he, he says, um, says, and I'm a little heavier. I don't know if I could outrun him now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was so funny that people remember that. You know, you almost eight, nine years later. That's got to be a huge compliment. It is. It really is to have some, you know, fans that have stuck around that long that remember what you did 10 years ago and would bring it up. You know, it, it just, it, it makes you feel good. And that, that's one reason why I love entertaining people and doing the wrestling. Um, I've even thought about doing some local um, plays hmm. just, uh, you know, just to hear the applause or, you know, a clap roar of the crowd. Um, but you know, it's, you know, the wrestling fans are just unbelievable and their loyalty is unbelievable. And for the most part, just great people. Yeah. That's one of the best things that I've gotten out of the whole situation is just people coming up to you afterwards and appreciating everything you do. And even me as a referee, you right. would think nobody right. would even notice me, but people appreciate it. Yeah. Very hardcore, loyal fans. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, and it, it solidifies my choice in doing what I do. You know, uh, I don't make money at it. Most of the time I lose money because of gas prices. Yeah. You know, to travel to Lauderdale to make 25 bucks. I mean, that's, that's hard. Um, but all oh, just to hear the roar of the crowd is, you know, is so amazing. But, you know, um, and that, that was, that was the one that got me a couple tryouts, you know, hey, come on over here and play this gimmick over here and do this gimmick here. And, um, you know, it just, it really, it really, uh, put me as a person on the map, um, for quite a few years. Now that I'm getting a little older, I'm not booked as often, but they know that if they do book me, they're gonna, they're gonna put me, they're not gonna have me be a curtain jerker. They know that this guy can work and he'll work the crowd and he'll do, you know, he'll do whatever's necessary to make sure that his match, if it's not the best match, that the match that is the best match had to work <laughs> in order to become that best match of the show. So, will we ever see Gorgeous Gary Glitter again? <sighs> Probably not. It, you know, I thought about you know bringing him back out, but it was so difficult because you know the hair was so much a part of the gimmick, and you know being getting old, older, you know, I don't. My hair was starting to leave, and that male pattern baldness started kicking in, but also. 
you know, doing wrestling for as many years as I have, um, I'd have hair ripped out at the root. Yeah. You know, I mean, my scalp, yeah, my scalp would be bleeding after a match at times just because so much got ripped out. Well, you do that so often, the hair follicle says, I'm done. Yeah, it's like waxing. Eventually, it doesn't come back. Yeah, it just it, you're 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 damaging the skin and also creating scar tissue. And hair doesn't go through grow through scar tissue. So that's another you know another reason why I said okay, you know what, I'm bald. Shave my head. That reminds me of uh, the night you lost your hair. Yes, it was uh, Susapalooza two. Yes, in Cape Coral. No, that no. was one. Oh, that's right, the first one. That was Susapalooza one. See, your memory is better than mine. Um, shocking. It was a mask versus hair match. You and Night Stalker. Yes. I was the referee. Yes. That night sticks out in my mind because it was the night that my parents came. Yes. It was uh, the last show that my father saw. Really? And uh, yeah, and he was very proud of me because I was able to uh, referee one of Greg the Hammer Valentine's match, and he was a big fan. Right. Well, and just so you know, that right there, uh, that match. Greg only had four more matches after that. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, before he got injured and retired completely. Wow. So he only had four matches after that before I think he... The only time he steps in the ring now is uh, to coach or teach, and he doesn't do any more shows. That was uh, like a big highlight of my career, and I'm glad my dad got to see it because, you know, for him, it's like, wow, my boy made it, kind of. Right. But going back to your match that night, Hair versus mask. Yes. So you obviously did not win that night. What ended up happening was the guy that I ended up wrestling my first time ever, Stud Magnum, he wanted to get back into wrestling. He'd been out for a while. So, and I was having this benefit for a Cape Coral firefighter at Cape Coral High School, which is where I graduated from. And, you know, so worked it out to where he would manage the guy that I was wrestling. And... What he had done behind my back is took it upon himself, had the guy that I was going to wrestle, because he didn't think that if I lost, that I would sit in the middle of the ring in my hometown where I graduated high school from. If I lost, if I would, you know, sit in that ring and have my hair cut, he didn't think I would do that. So he thought it would be funny. And this is another reason why I like to say not everything in wrestling is planned (laughs) because it's not as fake as everybody wants it to be. And let let me preface this by saying I had talked about cutting my hair for a while now. So he thought to make the show bigger, to make it, I mean, just to to send it over the top, that he would come out when I was thanking everybody for showing up for this fall on Cape Cod Firefighter, to come out and interfere with my opening, you know, thanking everybody for showing up. And had his boy the guy that I was wrestling come in and blast me in the head with a chair to open the show. And with me down, had his boy just lay on me and he pulled out some scissors and just started cutting and just started cutting and throwing, cutting and throwing, cutting and throwing. So basically I had no other choice that when they finally left, I had no other choice but to go in the back and just finish removing all the hair. So I came out to my match in a, that was supposed to be a hair versus mask match already basically lost because I had no hair. So as upset as I was, I said, okay, no, you know what? This is a pinfall counts anywhere match. Now you've already taken my hair. Now I'm going to hurt you. So we, he and I, who ended up getting hurt in that match? (laughs) (laughs) One of the, one of the funniest moments 
Um, we we're in a gymnasium for the listener. We're in a gymnasium, uh, you know, basically a basketball court, and the stands that that slide underneath one another uh, to make room for the gym. They those were all out, and I had just pushed Night Stalker. I just pushed him down the bleachers and uh, came off with a double axe handle, hit him. He goes down again. I go down, go to hook one, two, three, and I hear you <laughs> go. And you slap the, the hardwood floor so hard. <laughs> I started laughing. You went, one, ow! And I, <laughs> and I, I was, I lost it. I, here I am, bald upset my hair's already <laughs> gone I, i've already been wrestling for 10 minutes got body slammed on the the hardwood floor i just came off and hit him and rolled and i got him in a pinning situation and all i could do is laugh because you counted hard one so hard <laughs> i think your hand swelled up <laughs> you ended up having a count <laughs> one, two, three with the left hand the rest of the, the night. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that was so funny. <laughs> That'll teach you. <laughs> That'll learn me. I was quite new back then. Um, well, You've been doing it for a year. About a year, yeah. yeah. But my first time not counting on the mat. Yes, well, that's true. This, my first yeah, false count anyway. Yeah, yeah. Your first quote-unquote gimmick match yes. that you had uh, ref. I remember everybody there that night that knew you and knew you for a long time, their jaws were just on the floor when they saw your hair coming off because yeah. everybody knew how much you loved your hair and that, how much that was a part of you. Right. Well, you know, I've, I had it since I was, you know, 15 years old. You know, it was, I don't, I don't know how other way to describe it, but let's just use Hulk Hogan, for instance. Take away his mustache. You you almost wouldn't recognize him, would you? No. You'd have to wait for hear, him to say something before... Hulk Hogan, you know, um, that was what a lot of people thought with me. They, they recognized hair, the hair, the hair. Oh, that's Gary. That's, look at his hair, you know. So uh, that's, that was my most recognizable feature with the hair. Oh, that's Gary. That's the hair. Look, trust me. I could spot that, you know, a mile away. Um, so, and what's even funnier, there were friends that I've known for six, seven years. I'm at a bar having a Captain and Coke. And they sat right next to me. They looked at me like, I know this guy, but I don't, I don't know who he is. I'd never, I'd never clued him in. (laughs) They sat to me, sat next to me for an hour and a half and did not even realize that that was me. Wow. So you, I mean, that that was my most recognizable feature. And I mean, you took, take that away and it was, it was a shock to a lot of people. I had nieces and nephews that were in the audience that were in tears, crying. People couldn't believe it. People no. were asking me like for a week ahead of time, I think, like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know, but Gary loves his hair. <laughs> He's going to fight to the death to keep it. Right, yeah. And then for them to do what they did at the, the onset of the show, just to make the show that much bigger. And I don't think he would have done it if I hadn't been talking about cutting my hair months prior to this. Well, that, I think that's the only way you would have agreed to that stipulation anyway. Yeah, yeah, If that if I was to lose... You know, yeah, we'll shave my head. Funniest part of that night is uh, what ended up happening to your hair? <laughs> it got thrown everywhere. I remember that much. Um, I, if I remember correctly, Stud Magnum ended up grabbing some of it, taping it, and then taping it to the back of his head. 
But what's funny is I know where that is. It's still around? It is still around. What ended up happening is one of the friends of my niece that was there snuck up behind him, snatched it off the back of his head because it was only taped, you know, snatched it. She ended up braiding a part of it, and it's now her keychain. <laughs> she, she has my hair as a part as her keychain. That's got to be worth money. Uh, no, I'm not Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> so, made the right decision becoming a pro wrestler, right? Yes. I know what I was put on this earth to do, to entertain. You know, another example of that is I had to go to Best Buy for something. And a um, couple months prior to that, I did another show in Cape Coral. And so I go into Best Buy, and as soon as I walk in, this little kid, Dad, it's Gary Thunder, it's Gary Thunder. And uh, I was like, who here knows me? This kid comes running up, ah, I saw you, you did a cowbell match against uh, Rusty Brooks, and, and, you know, oh, that was so cool, and blah, 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 and we just talking all about the match. And, and then as soon as he gets done and finally takes a breath, he goes, can I get your autograph? I said, how come you didn't get it the night of the show? And he goes, my dad wanted to go. And we're talking, this nine-year-old kid, it was so funny. He goes, because my dad wanted to go. And I was like, oh, where's your dad? So I can body slam him right here, right now. <laughs> and this kid steps be- behind me just a little bit and points underneath my armpit, him. <laughs> so I start laughing. I said, sir, could you come here, please, so I can body slam you? And the guy's eyes get real wide. He goes, uh, uh, I won't do it here because I'd probably just get in trouble. I said, quick, quick, quick. I need a pen and paper. I need pen and paper. One of the ladies that was a uh, cashier hands me a, this stack of these little pa- pieces of paper and a pen. So I got down on one knee and I said, keep the faith thunder and handed it to him. And then as soon as I did that, I had these couple kids over here, couple kids over here, couple kids over here. And so all of a sudden a crowd is starting to form around me. Wanting to know, who is he? Why is he writing an autograph? And then this nine-year-old kid, who just a few months prior to, saw me in a Texas bull rope match that blew the roof off the building. And that was against Rusty Brooks. I don't know if I said that. And that's one of my top five matches of all time. I loved wrestling Rusty. But he saw it. This nine-year-old kid that was there was telling him all about it and how I went this and did that, went over here, did this. And, you know, the, the cowbell and the, the bruises on my back. And so I ended up signing 15, 20 autographs to kids that didn't even see me, but had to have it because of this nine-year-old little boy. And after everything is said and done, I handed the pen and paper. Thank you very much. Looked around. Could not remember why I went into Best Buy, <laughs> what I was there for. I turned around, walked out, got in my car, went home. <laughs> I was like, I, the, the entire way home, I still, still to this day, and we're, that was probably back in 05, 06, so about six years ago, that I was like, I still to this day cannot remember why I went into Best Buy. What was my purpose of going into Best Buy? But it was so funny, and and then the entire way home, I was like, ah, this is probably how Hulk Hogan feels, you know? Just <laughs> Every, that, everywhere that, he goes, that yeah. same day over and over again, like yeah. had that day. You know, it was it, it was amazing, and and it's it's a moment like that that you go, yeah, that's why I'm a pro wrestler. You know, we were talked about the fans earlier. You know, the loyalty, the love, the admiration that you get from them, and then the more you get from them, the more you want to do for them. You know, it's a give take situation, and it's it's absolutely amazing to 
to get that connection, to get that love from a fan. And then you don't want to do anything to hurt that. So you're going to do whatever you can to keep that going. It's just, it's so amazing. So amazing. So on the other side of that, like when you go to a different town and you're not the hometown boy and uh, people like their hometown boy better and you're perceived as the bad guy, how do you feel about that? Well, you have to look at it differently. If the bad guy doesn't do their job, then no matter who you get to be the good guy to come out, um, they're, they're not really not going to care. You have to work the fan up to such a frenzy that whoever comes through the curtain or through the door, they are begging that person to whoop your ass because you, you've got them hating you so much. And you have to. You have to get them hating you. And if you don't do your job, whoever comes to that door, unless unless it's a character or a person like Hulk Hogan, they're not going to get the applause. The only way that person is going to get the applause to fire them up is if you do your job to get them hating you that 30 seconds to a minute before they call out your opponent. So you have to work to get them to hate you. But on the same token, even though it's a hate, it's a respect and admiration as if you were the good guy and they're applauding you just on a different scale. Mm-hmm. So they're only going to applaud the good guy as loud as they hate the bad guy. There's no in between. Without the Joker, Batman's a really boring movie. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. You've got to have that villain. If you're not that villain, then your superhero or your good guy eh, ain't that good. Because, I mean, let's face it. Would Hulk Hogan be Hulk Hogan if he didn't have Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy? Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yeah, another beautiful example. Would he be that big if these villains, these bad guys, weren't as bad as they were? You've got to have that bad guy. I totally understand getting the negative feedback from the audience and turning it into a positive because... Wherever the weatherman goes, people hate him. Right. No matter what. I think it's what he wears. The the, the clothes are... <laughs> kind of wish he'd tone it down a bit, but it works for him. <laughs> Covers up my lack of talent. Uh, great, great wrestling stories. Uh, I want to ask, you've met some good people in the world of professional wrestling, yes. right? Um, a couple good friends you have come to mind. Uh, Eric Storm. Yes. And Torture. Yeah, Torture. Uh, that That guy is always on. He is always looking to make people laugh. There's been a couple times where I've gotten to work with him, and the best way I know how to describe it is I, I'm the abbot to his Costello. I'm the straight guy to his goofy guy, uh, and we work very, very well together. Just to, to ad lib off the top of our heads, not really just going out there and doing something in that ring. We are so good at it together that I just I enjoy it so much working with him. But on the same token, as funny as he is, he is one of the best bad guy wrestlers around. There's nobody better. I'll put him and what he can do in that ring up against anybody and their ability to be the bad guy wrestler. And his abilities in the ring are just as good. You might get lucky to find somebody as good, but you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody better than him. Uh, I was watching uh, WWE the other night, and I was thinking to myself, wow, this show needs like a really good bad guy, and I was thinking torture would be awesome. He would fit. And he would be great. Yes. It's a shame that it never happened. Well, 
a lot, you know, you have to be the right place at the right time. You have to have the right look. I had a look that they almost wanted, but I wasn't chiseled enough. What I was told, if I could continue to weigh 250, 260 pounds, but with six-pack abs, we really want you. And, you know, I was 30 at the time, 31. I had my own business. I was already making really good money. I had eight employees. So if I was to do that, there would be eight families that would be hurting because there was nobody there that could take the business over and continue to run it. So everybody still had a job. Uh, which business was that? Uh, carpet cleaning company, which I'm actually reopening now, getting back into that now that the market's uh, starting to turn around. But, you know, back then I was, you know, I was going in and paying cash for vehicles because uh, that's the money was there. But anyway, um, and being he's as big as he is, they they want they're looking for somebody you know a little more chiseled. He's he's a I don't want to call him a fat guy, but uh, yeah, he's a fat guy. <laughs> but he's so strong. He doesn't even ha- have a clue at how strong he really is. He's grabbed a hold of me, and I weigh at the at one point I weigh two ninety. And he threw me up on his shoulders like I was a rag doll. I'm like, <laughs> this is going to hurt. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's nothing he can't do in that ring, except for maybe a backflip off the top rope. But he comes off the top rope. There's nothing. he If, if you wanted to sit and get technical with him, he will chain with you. When it comes to an attitude, when it comes to getting the crowd to hate you, he can do it. But I've also seen it where he can get the crowd to love him, too. He's got that ability. I mean, he can he can do any anything you ask him to do. He can go out there and do it without a problem. He's one of those guys with the ability and natural talent. Yes, and he's got that it factor that you want to watch him. Right. Yes, he does have that it factor. The only problem is the people that could really give him a lot of money to do it um, want him to look a certain way. And but in my opinion, no, that's the way you need him. Yeah, he would be perfect. Right. Uh, I refereed a couple of his matches, and one night people hated him and wanted to throw him out of town. The next night, little kids were hugging him. Right. So yeah. He can do anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, what about Eric Storm, your tag team partner? He he helped train me. He is next to you, my best friend. Oh, thank you. Oh, ain't no problem. But there's there's nothing I wouldn't do for him, and I honestly believe that there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. When he found out that I was opening my company back up. He says, hey, you need something, let me know. If if I can do it, I'll do it. I'm like, well, I might need some money. He says, let me know. If you need it, I got it. Uh, 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 okay, thank you. You know, um, he's just as sarcastic and as much of a pain in the ass he is, he's just as loyal and just as true of a friend that you could ever ask for. Traveling up and down the road with him, yes. uh, my impression is just a great person. Yeah. As long as you get to know his personality. Yeah, he, and he at does. First. It, it, at first, he, he can rub people the wrong way because he it, he is uh, sarcastic, but I was able to look past that real quick and go, oh, no, no. It sounds bad, but he's trying to be instructive because he was one of my teachers, you know, that helped me get to my where I'm at today. And, you know, first couple weeks that I was out there, I was like, man, I'm going to deck this guy in the face. <laughs> but... It dawned on me, no, he, it does sound condescending, but he's not. He's really trying to teach. He, he's, he's being honest, but he, he's, he's one of the greatest, 
men I know, a great father, too. Um, so it's just, he comes across condescending, but he really doesn't mean it. And it's, it's hard to get people to, to, to see that, but he's, he, I owe a lot to him and my wrestling career. Cause if it wasn't for him, um, cause there were times where he and I would, you know, travel 60 miles to go train and it would just be me and him. And he would stay out there for as long as I wanted to, to help me get better. I'm a big fan of his, like his entering ability. I, if I ever referee his matches, sometimes I catch myself just watching and being, <laughs> being a little fanboy, watching him go, wow, that's cool. Right. And, you know, yeah. forgetting what I'm in there for, you know? Yeah. And he is really good technically. He's, he's again, he's another one of those guys. You want him to come off the top rope? He will. He doesn't do the backflip. Um, but he'll come off the top rope. He'll, again, if you wanted to sit and chain with him, I betcha, I betcha he and Dean Malenko could go toe-to-toe when it came to chain wrestling. I wouldn't phase me in the least if if he went in there and with one of the greatest technical chain wrestlers in Dean Malenko, if he would got, get in there and, and go toe-to-toe with him. Wouldn't, I, I, I bet you a hundred bucks he could do it. Big fan. Yes. And also just a great all-around guy, like you said. Um, and funny. He is, but in such a condescending way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I, I like heels. Yeah, and and he is. He's almost always a heel. Right. Even when he's, you know. In real life, in yeah, person. At, <laughs> yeah, at home. He doesn't, his wrestling tights are in the bag. He comes across as a heel at times, but it's just, it's just unfortunately what, what he is. You talked about your carpet cleaning business. Mm-hmm. What happened with that? Why did it go under? Was it the economy? The, yeah, the economy. Well, in, in this area, in, in Florida, there was such a boom. And the bottom fell out when it came to the housing market. It was just un- unfortunately one of those things that, that people were coming here and, and people had money and people had jobs and people were making good money. Uh, houses were going up left and right. And so when people have money, they're not going to clean their carpets. They're going to pay somebody to clean their carpets. I was doing very, very well. And then it got to the point I was making 10 appointments a day. I was booked three weeks out. I had uh, another driver was also booked three weeks out. I was getting ready to buy another car or another van and get another person in that van because I'm booked three weeks out. I have one other guy booked three weeks out, and I got people that are getting upset that I can't fit them in before three weeks. So I just I, I said I I gotta I, I started looking into getting another vehicle and put somebody in it. And then all of a sudden I went from making ten appointments today. To making five a day, to making one a day. Then it got to the point to where I wasn't even getting ten phone calls a month. I just slowly had to let this person go, let this person go, let this person go. You know, all that money that people were making, they weren't making anymore. So people didn't have that that extra hundred hundred fifty dollars to get carpets cleaned. But what I'm seeing now is people don't have that extra hundred, hundred and fifty dollars, but they've got that extra fifty, seventy-five dollars. Let me get a couple rooms done. So if I start now and tap into that and try to build the company as the market comes back, then I've already got plenty of experience with business and being in business that next time around, if the market does do another uh drop. I'll be better prepared for it. I, you know, you, you make some mistakes and go, okay, I'll know better next time. 
Goes back to what we were saying before, always learning. Always learning, yeah. Besides uh, the world of professional wrestling, how is your life going? Really good now. I got a good woman. Tell me about her. Um, She's private, so I'm not going to get into too much detail. Which is understandable. But she is very smart. I know she's smarter than me. <laughs> she she has strengths where I know I have weaknesses. Um, She is such a beautiful woman. And she's... She's been a friend for over two years before we ever got into um, a relationship. Um, so she's what I really like about her is we could be sitting in the same room and I can I could talk to her as a friend, which is different than talking to her as a girlfriend. Um, and we have that ability, you know, and it's it's a really, really nice, relaxing dynamic. Um, and it's, it's just so, and I've heard people say it that, you know, relationships are hard work, but it should be easy when necessary. And it is hard work, but it's so easy to, to be with her. So I, I, I think I finally get that at 39 years old. I finally get that. And she's, she's seen me at my worst and I've seen her at her worst. And yet we still want each other. I think that says a lot about our friendship more than anything. And that's, that's Amy. Wow. On our first episode of A Conversation with Albie, uh, I asked my mom what the secret to life was, and that's what she said, be friends with someone and then get romantically involved with them. There you go. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm living it. That's awesome. I'm yeah. very happy for you. You can tell that you're happy just by looking at you. Thank you. I can't wait to meet Amy. I will ask you, what do you think the secret to life is? Oh... The secret to life, I think it, the secret to life is wrapped around one word, faith. And faith in a higher power or God, faith in yourself as a person, and faith in the decisions you make in life. I think that, that to me, is, is um, the meaning of life, the the essence of life. If you could leave one thought behind after you're gone, what would you want that to be? Wow, that's a great question. I think it, uh, you know, I might have to think about that because there's so many things that I could say, but as I'm thinking them in my head, it's so almost insignificant. Um, one, one thought, you know, okay, I think I've got it. Love and love honestly. Love and love honestly. I've seen so many people that um, they say that oh they that they they say the word love so much that it gets watered down to such a degree that the meaning of love is lost to them. Oh, I love potato chips. I love this. I love that. You know. Um, but learn learn the meaning of love. Understand it and love honestly. That is beautiful. Thank you. I just kind of came up with that. <laughs> Give me the goosebumps. That was good. Tell me something about yourself that no one else knows. Well, if no one else knows, um, something about me that no one else knows. I, I don't know. I'm so open anyway that um, I don't have a problem answering questions, no matter how uh, private they may seem. Uh, my mom has a friend, Sal. <laughs> There, there. She, 
you know, wants to know, what about young guys? And she's asking me all kinds of questions, sexual. And my mom actually had to get up and leave the room. (laughs) And what's even funnier is my mom had had a couple cocktails and, you know, my mom doesn't blush easily <laughs> She because of the questions that Sal was asking me. And I, I'd answer them. I don't, I don't have a problem. Um, so I, I am, I'd like to say I am an open book. What would surprise people if they found out about you? Um, that maybe your closest friends know, but not everybody knows. Well, okay. Uh, I guess I can have, because I'm so, uh, outgoing and happy most of the time. Um, I do have a switch that, and, and I know you've seen this. Um, I have an anger and if you set that off, you might want to run. Don't make you angry. Yeah. We wouldn't like you. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Any last words for our listeners? Well, thanks for taking the time to listen. Gary, thank you for being one of my best friends. Oh, pleasure's all mine, sir. It's an honor to be your friend. And thank you for doing a conversation with Albie. Thank you very much. I learned a lot about you. Well, I I think I learned a lot about you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed my conversation with Gary. It was fun reminiscing about old times. I got to know some stuff that I didn't know, and we got to talk about the great times we had together. It was interesting to find out his perspective on things. I think if you take anything with you from this conversation, it could be love honestly, or even something as simple as don't steal, because whoever you steal from might know a superhero. This is Albie saying, your beliefs don't make you a better person, your actions do. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Conversation with Albie. Go to barrenspace.com to listen to new installments of this and other great podcasts from Barren Space Productions. Support from listeners like you help keep this podcast operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal on barrenspace.com. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of a conversation with Albie, Barren Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Special thanks to Stephen Norder for web maintenance and ZeroPain.com for providing reliable and painless web service. A Conversation with Albie is edited by Albie. A Conversation with Albie is a Barren Space production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.